Welcome to the Human Flourishing Project. I'm your host, Alex Epstein. It's good to be back. It's been two weeks since the last episode. It's been a while since there's been a two-week layoff, but had a lot going on, and now I am back. So today's topic is mining past experience. Let me just jump right into that. You may remember if you've heard the episode about a month, month and a half ago, where I was doing, or the set of episodes about triumphing over disruption, I had a tool that I created to help people triumph over the still ongoing situation of massive disruption. And there was a section where I was suggesting a way to brainstorm about ways to make an individual area of life even better now than it was before. And one of the prompts I had was something to the effect of, think about whether there's anything in the past that you used to do that worked well that you could stop doing. So thinking about things that in the past that you used to do that worked well, that for whatever reason you stopped doing. I the first thing that really brought this phenomenon to my attention is, and I've probably mentioned this in a previous episode, but in the amazing online course Altitude by a guy named Eben Pagan, who has a whole very interesting, very interesting guy. Um, but this was a course of his on how to grow a business successfully. At the end of, I believe, the first lecture, he was being asked a question, or there was some some interactive thing, and he just said a fairly offhand comment to the effect of. Basically, a good formula for failure is to find what works and then stop doing it. And for whatever reason, that really stuck with me. To, because there is this phenomenon of, yeah, we find things that work, and then for whatever reason, we stop doing them. We might like to think that everything that we're doing is just really refining best practices, but it turns out it's super easy to abandon something that works really well. And related, it's very easy to adopt a set of things, even for a long time, that aren't working nearly as well as previous things did. And the theme of today's episode is we want to be on the premise of mining our past experience, particularly in thinking in, in any given area in terms of, okay, is there something that in this area that worked better that really worked for me in the past. And worked usually means for some sustained amount of time. It got, got me the results I want, or at least better results. Is there something that used to work that I can try again or that I can try a modified version of? And how does that compare to today? Now, we always, or often at least, want to be in the mode of experimenting. So this is not to say that we just stick with the best thing we've ever figured out. But it's good to have that as, you, as a baseline and think, okay, yeah, the, what I'm I want to evaluate what I'm doing right now against the the best thing that I've had in the past, and that way I can easily look for something. I can either go back to what I had in the past, or I can look for something better, but have as a reference point what worked in the past. So I'll give you an example, which is the example that really has brought this to the fore for me in the past several weeks, and that is email. Now, email is something I've had a very challenging relationship with over the years because to resurrect a theme from maybe three weeks ago, I consider email a big potential escape. 
email is there's so many reasons why it can be an escape from doing more important things because it's sometimes necessary. So there's always a reason to check it. It's got a lot of performance type feedback. If you run any kind of business, you know, you'll hear about a sale through email. Um, you know, if you're in the world of media, you'll often hear about something good happening. If you're writing, I mean, these are all things I'm involved in. If you're writing, you'll hear about feedback. Uh, you know, if you have a question for somebody, the answer will come through via email. So it's so, it's such a, there are so many things that are stimulating about it, but it can really be an escape from focused work. And over the years, I've had challenges with it. And I've, some of them have been the challenges of checking it too often. But I think the main challenge is just how how to deal with it and often blowing it off for extended periods of time. And maybe some of you listening to this have tried to email me and you've never heard back. And I'm not going to promise that in the future, everyone's going to hear back because that might not be the best thing. But for years, I haven't had a good system where I was really deciding one way or the other. So to give you an overview of my failed system, but it's interest, It's going to be interesting because I'm going to tell you about a, a previous system that I had that was much more successful. The, the failed system I had, I, I thought of it as a briefing system. And it's interesting how these ideas come about because often I think something that doesn't work comes about because it has some appeal to the idea of it. And then it can take a long time to see, oh, the reality isn't isn't matching up. So the idea I had, I thought of it as a briefing system. And maybe some someone has a good way of dealing with this kind of thing, but you think about it like a you know, president will have a daily briefing. And so he's just given things on paper and he just goes through them and then he gives responses and gives assignments and he just, like, he's not probably going through 500 emails. Somebody has, one thing somebody's done is they've screened the different emails. So he's only getting a certain uh, amount of them. And then in terms of what has to be done, you know, he's kind of making judgment calls, but often it's, oh, somebody else can handle this. And so what I tried to do is I tried to have briefings where I would have somebody process this for me and then I would, you know, go through, they they would, I mean, there were different versions of this, but they would like paste my emails in a briefing and then we'd go through them and then, uh, you know, I'd get feedback and then it would go to other people. And there's, even as I say this, I think, Oh, that sounds like a pretty good. That sounds like a pretty good idea. Uh, maybe, maybe I should do that. But for various reasons, at least as executed, it it didn't work all that well for me, and it didn't. They're just I I just never I didn't get to the point where I was real consistently like going through it once a day and really being on top of things. I felt like I wasn't really on top of the email. I was never get to, able to get another person to be on top of it in a way where I really felt plugged in. So I was still having, I was either doing it or I wasn't doing it. And then there's this issue of, okay, are you really missing things? And things would inevitably get missed. And there's just no uh, clarity about it. And then when I did check email, including check it as, as somewhat of an escape, then I would, then I would just be kind of doing you know, what everyone else is doing that I don't think works very well. And one sign of all of this is that I had two briefing, it ended up being I used briefing folders because the pasting them into a document was just too time consuming and wasn't working, at least how we were executing it. And and my, those folders had a combined total of there, I had a, like a sales briefing folder and then a daily briefing folder. And those two briefing folders 
had 4,000 emails in them. And that was even not including an optional folder, which I would never uh, uh, check. So it was just, this was, this was just a lot. And lately I had to think about, okay, is there any way that I, is there a way to simplify this? Do I really need somebody checking my email all the time? Because I've always had some, that as a thing that I needed somebody to do based on the system. And I thought this isn't working very well. Okay. What's, what's something that worked better? And for, you know, I think what happened is I thought of this guy that I, uh, I guess I, I know him in a sense. I mean, I, I've, I've been on his podcast before and we're, I mean, I just haven't seen him in a couple of years, but it's a really interesting guy named Ari Mizell, uh, A-R-I space M-E-I-S-E-L, I think. And he he runs, I forget his company, it was called Less Doing, might be called getleverage.com. But if you look up Ari Mizell, you'll find stuff from him. And I remember he had a good email system and I remember using it. So I just looked it up and I was reminded of it. And it's really simple, but it's it essentially is... You don't. You only have two folders. Uh, I think there might be. Maybe there's more, but it's barely more. If there's more. I mean, you just have an inbox, and then you have an optional folder. So an optional folder might be if you're on newsletters and stuff, you get them routed to the optional folder. But basically, all you have is an inbox. So you don't have these other folders that you're organizing things into. And then there are only three things you can do with an email. So you can delete it. Although that he'll say archive it. So it's not. So delete it means, okay, you, you're, you're done with it. And then you can do it. So you can do it at the time that you're processing email. And that's usually for things I think, I think he thinks of it as five minutes or less. Or you can delay it. But delay it means you have to find a way to get it out of your inbox. And then it will come back in the future. So one of the apps I think I learned about from him is called Boomerang. And you just use Boomerang. And so you just say, okay, I'm going to get back to this in a week and maybe you give yourself a block of time for uh, for dealing with it. And you know I remembered that I used to do this and it worked really well. Now it, it I mean I did it, it didn't make me totally in love with email and I would end up boomeranging things a lot and my assistant made fun of me for boomeranging boomeranging things but I, I didn't really miss really important things because I would boomerang them in a way that made sense. And in fact, it worked quite well for sales in particular, because I would just, you know, if if I wanted to see if somebody's going to follow up, I would just boomerang it for two weeks. So what's interesting about this is it really, it really worked. And when I, when I resurrected it again, I could remember why it's so effective. I've been using it now for, uh, for two weeks, but I, I had success using it in the past. And it's just amazing how, efficiently I can process things. And it really helps my thinking about the email, including what to not respond to and what to unsubscribe from, because I know that I actually have to grapple with it. Part of what's great about it is you actually have to grapple with your email communication. And that can mean making strategic decisions like, well, I'm not going to, I can't respond to all of these different things, but then you can decide that and be guiltless about it. And it's made me just really be aware of how much time things take. So somebody sends me an interesting article. Okay, do I read that or not? Maybe I just scan it. Maybe I'm aware of it, but I'm aware. Okay, yeah. I I really have to make some commitment about what I'm doing with every single piece of input um, that I get. And so what I'm finding is, and another benefit for me is just because I'm doing it, there's no intermediary doing it. It's going to have the best judgment in terms of, 
certain kinds of responses and things. And so there's some like an incoming query comes into the company and then I'm going to judge, okay, who's the best person uh, to deal with that versus somebody else doing that. Now, it might be a situation where for some people, you absolutely need somebody processing that. It doesn't make sense for you to do it yourself. But in this case, there's not that much stuff coming in that it really makes sense to delegate it. And when I'm doing it, I really feel, okay, now I'm really, you know, to make a like sort of comparison, I feel like I'm plugged into the matrix. I can really, I can see what's going on and I can do it quickly. And now I can do my email in maybe 15 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day. And so the way I do it is just do the old Tim Ferriss system from four hour work week. I have no idea if he holds to this, but just check it about twice a day. So in the morning when I'm done with my main writing for the day and then sometime in the late afternoon. And one of the great things for me about this is I do not, I still don't, particularly relish going through the email. So twice a day is pretty much the perfect frequency where I'm confident, okay, I'm not missing anything. I'm not going to miss anything huge in this amount of time. But if I, if I'm only doing it once a day, then I feel like, yeah, I might miss something big, but I don't feel compelled to do it eight times a day because who wants to go through uh, email eight times a day? It's not, I don't find it to be a particularly um, fun thing. Uh, One other element just specific to me is that it's, uh, you know, for sales, it's it, it's another interesting kind of thing because for sales, I had this system where I would just I'd be in touch with people who were significant prospects, and then I would boomerang, and it would be a really good way of following up with the people where it really made sense to follow up. And what I noticed is in subsequent years, I would adopt much more sophisticated systems like using the HubSpot system and updating the, you know, updating the records. And these are things that really make sense in a larger organization for sure. You don't want to just have these things boomeranged. But the kinds of things I'm dealing with, I'm only dealing, I'm only dealing with some number of consulting projects a year, I mean, less than 10 probably in a, you know, in a given year, discrete projects. And then with speeches, maybe it's up to 50. And so maybe it's, maybe that means 200 interactions to get to the 50, but maybe a little more, but it's just, it just, it's so much easier to just do it via the boomeranging and maybe keep a spreadsheet or an air table. If you've ever used that, that's a really good kind of database format. It's just noticing, okay, yeah, this actually works. And when I'm trying the new things, I need to be aware, are these working as well as the old thing was working? And not being seduced by the idea of it, oh, this is a really professional way to do it, or this theoretically would work, but no, does this actually work? And I just notice, wow, there are all these things in the past where I had a much better system and I abandoned it. I abandoned it without recognizing how well it worked and without rigorously evaluating the new thing, which would often cost money, new money and new personnel to be involved in addition to all the time. So the the reason to go into that particular example, besides you may want to do Ari Mizell's email system, which if you just search Ari Mizell email, I'm sure his Medium article about this will come up pretty quickly. But just just as as an elaborate example of how valuable it can be to mine the past and how non-automatic it is, I think, to mine the past. Certainly for me, it's not automatic. And I I imagine that other people have similar experiences. So what I'm, I'm now thinking about is, okay, what are other, you know, in other areas of life, what kinds of, what, what can I learn from what worked in the past? And 
you can you can think of this in at least two categories. So one is what kinds of what kinds of processes worked well in the past for a given goal, what kinds of processes worked or a given area you can think of it as like for email, like what, what worked well or for sales, what worked well, but you can also think of it as, okay, what, what goals worked well or what, what things to do period. So there's the thing to do and then there's the how to do it. And both of those we can learn from. So it might be you know, one thing I've been watching this last dance documentary or I don't know if it's officially a documentary but on ESPN and I'm really into it and it reminds me of how much joy I got in the past from watching basketball and I also watched a lot of baseball and a lot of football as a kid and then I got really into martial arts specifically Brazilian jiu-jitsu but it's interesting I I enjoy watching basketball at least a really good basketball game generally more than I enjoy certainly the average mixed martial arts fight and even the average jujitsu fight. And that's just something where, and, and oh, I love watching tennis as well. So it's, it's just, that's such an interesting thing to think. Oh, well that it's not, I might like the idea of watching MMA or jujitsu because I do jujitsu, but I actually love watching these other things. And, you know, in the past I used to love playing tennis or at least I love certain aspects of it. And maybe, I'll, uh, maybe I'll try that again, but it's, it's really looking at the past and mining it and not having too much of a preconceived idea of what should work, but actually look at what does work and then, then draw conclusions um, from there. Another area, the most one, the one I'm actively most thinking about how to mine the past uh, in is writing because when I was in high school, I fell in love with writing, but it was very, I had a really diverse writing interest. I did a lot of kind of comic writing and I liked writing little funny stories and funny ways of expressing things. And I've, and then just writing about any topic that was on my mind. And later on, I got more into, okay, I'm going to just write about politics. I'm just going to write about energy in particular. But I've thought lately, okay, well, maybe I'll just, for fun, I'll just try some other things because I had, just if I'm inspired to write something, just uh, just play with it because I ha- I got used to get so much enjoyment even about different kinds of uh, comedy writing in the past. And then so there's different kinds of writing, but there's also different processes. One thing I've reflected on lately is that I had the benefit of being a very natural kind of writer, at least by the time I was 16, when I would just write things, I just, I didn't have any process. I didn't know how to outline, but I could just, I would just have an idea and have some idea of the audience and I could just write something and I have a sense of, oh, this is good. And I have internal standards for, okay, now it's good or now it's not good and I'll keep working on it. And uh, later on, I learned all kinds of different writing processes, which have a lot of benefits, but I certainly didn't have the awareness back then to think about okay, which part of this process is really working for me and which isn't? And and I was way too, I think, prone to just, if, if I learned a new process from somebody, just saying, okay, I'm just going to follow their process. Absolutely. Now, I'm, I'm in favor of trying the process. Absolutely. As I've talked about in previous episodes, I want to try somebody's system literally, but then I have to evaluate how well does this work compared to what I've uh, I've done? Because it could be, well, what works best for me is different than what works best for somebody else. And so just one thing I remember is one of the ways I was taught process-wise is to not be too concerned about the quality 
of the rough draft. And I think I took that to, I, for a while, I took that to an extreme where I would just kind of blurt out, I would even think of it that way, I'd blurt out the rough draft. So I have an outline, I'd blurt it out, and then it was kind of a mess, but then I wanted to read it, then I could I could have an idea, okay, here's what works, here's what doesn't, and then I could edit it. And usually what happened is once I would start editing it, I would often edit it by hand, and then I would end up writing, but I would end up writing slowly, and then it would be good. And th- that's fine, That's that's a process, but maybe that wasn't the right process. Maybe the be- the better process for me would be, no, okay, get it, outline it, but then, and there's even a question of how specifically to outline it. That's another thing I've been thinking about, you know, because for some things I definitely need some outline, but maybe it's the outline gets refined. It starts out a little bit more vague and then it gets refined as I edit, but maybe for some people that's a mess. So it's going to be uh, very, very specific. But what I'm finding now is I tend to write much better when I'm not I'm not picking on every word. So I'm not picking on every sentence and, and just trying to revise it and get it perfect. But I do need it to really, I do need to feel like I'm connected to the reader. So I do need to feel like each sentence is making sense. Like it's a real attempt at explanation on its own and it's following something that has come before. And and one area that's good practice for this is speaking on a show like this because that's what I'm always doing. I'm always thinking about where are we? You know, where did we start? What's the goal? And where are we now? And just thinking about, okay, I really want to explain this to you, the listener, so that it's clarifying to you. So I don't just I don't just start blurting things out just to just to follow an outline. Uh, but nor do nor do I have the option in speaking of retracting each sentence or rewording each sentence. So it's this example of yeah, I, it's I in a sense I'm I can think of it as I'm using my subconscious. So I'm not consciously ed- I'm not editing myself exactly while I'm writing, but I am I am really explaining it in the moment, and then that. I think for me and maybe for many other people leads to the best things because it leads to I'm staying connected with the reader or the listener. Um, I lost my train of thought, which is ironic because I was talking about being in the moment. Oh yeah, well I'm staying connected. I'm, I'm aware of where I want to go, but then also I'm I can improvise in the moment if I think that something is necessary or something. There's a better way to do it. I'm not. I'm at a pace where I can really make those decisions intelligently, whereas if I'm going too quickly, then, I, then I'm not going to make those decisions because I won't be connected and I won't really have any particularly good ideas. It'll be kind of random. And then also if I'm overly, if the outline's overly regimented, then I can just kind of be following the outline too much, even when it doesn't make sense to the audience. So again, this is just, a, this is an example of how I'm uh, thinking of it, but I, I like to go into d- in depth in these examples so that one gets the idea of okay, this is this is what it means to do what I'm talking about. In this case, it's this is this is mining the past. So it's really thinking about what what kind of writing did I do in the past that I really enjoyed, and what kinds of processes did I employ that maybe I could do more of now. And if we can do this, then then it's then it's really a formula for growth because we're we're continuously learning from the past taking the best things from it and then combining that with experimentation in in the 
you know, in the online marketing world, I think they're pretty good at this where they'll have some landing, say they'll have a landing page. So a page that you land on where they're trying to get you to sign up for an email list. And then they'll have one that's the, you know, the best performer. And then they'll always be trying out new performers, but they'll be trying, they'll be aware, okay, this is the best performer and something needs to dethrone it. So we want to be experimental, but we don't want to forget about what really worked. So I ask you listening to this, what in any given area of life or in every area of life, what are things that you've done in the past that worked really well that maybe you stopped doing? And maybe how can you do, how can you do them uh, again? And what happens with that? So that is the idea for today. As always, if you have any questions, comments, love mail or hate mail, you can email me at alex at alexepstein.com. You can be sure I will at least read it uh, quickly now that I have this very good and simple email system that I copied from Ari Mizell. And if you want to join the discussion on Facebook, go to facebook.com slash human flourishing project to get the updates on when this show is uh, being posted and when and the weeks it's not being posted for that matter, you can go to humanflourishingproject.com. Let's see, is there anything else? Oh, well, if you want to support or promote the show, one of the best things you can do is share it with other people. So share this specific episode or one other specific episode with somebody else. You can also pay for the show if you want. And there is a PayPal uh, page you can go to it's paypal.me slash human flourishing all right that is it for this week hope you enjoyed this episode i will be back in the next week or two until then i'm alex epstein this has been the human flourishing project